coming up this time, I'm chatting to one of Brian Clough's European Cup heroes. Brian Clough could have been talking about dog walking in his team talk, and it would be interesting. That's yeah. the point. It's how he said the message to you as much as anything else. You'll hear about the disagreements behind the scenes. You know, when I look back on it, I think to myself that I, uh, John Robertson, for instance, used to say, Martin, would you just stop stop saying anything, you know? And you're never going to win. You're never going to win with, you're never going to win with most managers. You're certainly never going to win with Brian Clough. And the importance of getting that famous thumbs up. We were looking for that approval from him. It was as if he was the... The, you know, the godfather of football. He knew everything about the game. He knew us inside out. And you just wanted to sit at his right-hand table. That was really about it, I think. All that and many more special memories of the Miracle Manager. You're listening to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. And my guest today is one of Brian Clough's European Cup legends, Martin O'Neill, who's written a book about his life in football. Thanks very much for joining us today, Martin. No, thank you, Marcus. Thanks for asking. Well, you once said you'd been asked to sum up Brian Clough in three words, but that he would have been insulted to be summed up in three volumes. Um, you talk you talk about him a lot in the book. How would you best sum him up? Oh, well, well, that's a very good point. That it certainly wouldn't be in three words for a start. No, um, he was. Um, I, you know what? I think that. Um, well, first of all, he's the most charismatic manager I've ever known. And I think I tend to agree with John Robertson, who also said that he might be the most charismatic man we've ever met as well, too. So those things combined might tell you where, what sort of esteem that uh, that I hold him in and that how John holds him in and that I actually think that uh, that everybody in Nottingham does. He, um, I, Do you remember, if, if we cast our minds back to the January of 1975, this man was coming off the back of 44-day sojourn at, at Leeds United, which had not worked out well. That was hardly surprising, really, Marcus, considering that uh, he had uh, he had been known to criticise Leeds United and the, and the Leeds United players who were some of the very very best in Europe, never mind the country. They were taking uh, they would have been taking uh, a dim view of that sort of criticism. So it was never really going to work there. But it's really interesting, and I say this, that fast forward a number of years and I meet Johnny Giles. Now, Johnny Giles was, I supposedly, a nemesis of Brian Clough's, uh, that, uh, and Brian felt that uh, Johnny Giles, this great Irish international player playing for Leeds United, centre midfield, was probably uh, really against, uh, against Brian. However, so 20-odd years after the, these events, I meet uh, Johnny Giles, and Johnny Giles said, even for that short period of time that Brian Clough was there, you felt that if he could have got off on a better footing, that the players would have would have responded and come to him. And actually, he felt even at that stage of his career, and I'm, and uh, Johnny Giles had very few years left, that he felt that he wanted to play for him. That he felt that there was something about Brian Clough's character that made him want to play for Brian Clough. Isn't that interesting, really, when you think about it, when they, when they were actually at loggerheads? So if you consider that, can you imagine what we were like where we would want to be pleasing him? Absolutely. This man has just arrived in at the city ground. He could have chosen a number of other teams. Uh, here he is. 
and uh, Nottingham Forest and Derby County are, I suppose, the supposed enemies. He's decided to go with this one. We're second division at the time. We're nondescript, and therefore he's uh, and he's going to take over this nondescript side and make us good. What can you remember of that of that morning when he walked into the dressing room for the first time? Because you were already at Forest, January '75. Mm-hmm. I think he actually yeah. mentioned you by name, though, didn't he? Oh uh, well, what what had happened was that yeah, I remember that so so clearly that day. And interestingly, John Robertson, uh, John, we were all gathered in the dressing room waiting for Brian Clough's arrival. Uh, the dressing room door at that time at uh, at the city ground uh, opened uh, directly into the middle of the room. And therefore, you, uh, I was over to the side, so I wouldn't have seen him coming in. But John was actually right down the middle. So John could see him coming in the dressing room about three or four strides before anyone, uh, anyone could see him. So he just took the coat off, threw it over a peg, blew his hands, you know, cold, cold day, and uh, and started to talk. And so um, I'm to the side. I um, He had just said that uh, he and Jimmy Gordon had arrived at the football club. They were going to try and win some football matches, he said, you know. And he added that quip, I think, saying that, uh, yeah, just to keep me in a job, you know, that save it. Yes. And... Um, and then uh, we were heading, or sorry, the squad was heading to Bisham Abbey on the Wednesday. And just as he's turning out the door, he said, is young O'Neill here? And I put my hand up. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, you'll be coming with us. Because I hadn't played in the previous couple of weeks under Alan Brown. And there, and uh, and that was the start of it. Yeah. Now, Brian Clough said that, that if there was one player he clashed with more than any other during his time in management, it was you. He said that you were not slow to express an opinion on almost anything, but he admitted that was a bit like the young Clough at Middlesbrough. Uh, do you think there were some similarities there? Well, I, I, don't, I, I think that um, I think that he didn't say this, but I, I, I'm, and I did make this comment up once when he, uh, that I felt that, that had he had the time, he would have said it, that he felt that I might have been arrogant with nothing to be arrogant about. You know, so, um, yes. and I think that, you know, when I look back on it, I think to myself that I, uh, John John Robertson, for instance, used to say, Martin, would you just stop stop saying anything, you know, and you're never going to win. You're never <laughs> going to win. You're never going to win with most managers. You're certainly never going to win with Brian Clough. And um, and all you had to do is play badly in the game for him to remind you. Yes. So, uh, but, um, yeah, I th- I think now that uh, there are, there were more than one occasion where I should have just let it go rather than trying to voice an opinion, uh, an opinion that would be lost in the wilderness somewhere. Yes. Yeah. He, I think he said when you were left out of the side, you'd get frustrated um, mm. and say that you were going back to university in Belfast. Is it right that he called you bluff one day and, and produced an aeroplane ticket and said, well, oh. go on then? That's one of Brian's. That's it. No, that didn't happen, oh. believe it or not. Absolutely. <laughs> He claimed he said he got hold of a an yeah. aeroplane ticket. He said, "There you go, son. Stay, <laughs> stay, stay as long as you want." Yeah, it was not actually true, believe it or not. But mm. the sentiment was there as yeah. much as anything. Yes, you were left out of the European Cup final first eleven in '79. You say in the book that was devastating. How did you get manage to get over the disappointment <clears throat> of that? Well, the only way you get over the disappointment is that actually if you participate in another one, 
And by, 19, by, by 1979, the chances of Nottingham Forest going back to um, to win an, another European Cup would be, you know, would be, well, there would be few, I think, uh, that that would have thought that it could have happened. And there, and for instance, Archie Gemmell missed out as well too. And Archie was transferred to Birmingham City a couple of months later. So, so from that viewpoint, Marcus, it was uh, it was really disappointing because you never think you're going to get a chance again. And no matter how many games you'd played in the previous rounds, and I had played in the two semi-finals, to me, the most atmospheric game that has ever been played at the city ground in my time was definitely against Cologne. And uh, and therefore, uh, and for us to win in Cologne and get through to the final, those are great moments. But you, you still have to feel as if you're on that field of play when that final whistle goes and you collect your European Cup medal. And when that didn't happen to myself or Archie Gemmell, yeah, obviously we were devastated. But you did play, obviously, in the in, in the nineteen eighty European Cup final, mm-hmm. and it was actually at half time in that match that you <clears throat> got the praise that you'd been seeking all that time. What actually happened? What what had happened? We'd come in. Um, John had given us the lead. John Robertson had given us the lead, and and we were we were doing we were doing fine. But we know, you know, that Hamburg, with all the players that they had at their, at their uh, disposal, would be coming really at us, particularly strongly in the second half for this equaliser. And um, and I think I think the club was venturing to make some sort of positional change at the time. Not exactly sure what it was, but uh, and I kind of semi volunteered to to go into this position that he was looking for. And that's when he said, "No, son. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm very poor at doing his accent." <laughs> He said, you're doing brilliantly where you are. And Marcus, what a lift that gave you, you know, for the second half. You know, it's just those words coming from him, you know, like an adrenaline lift coming right through your body again and thinking, well, wow, this is is great. He actually thinks you're doing really well. Yes. I think in in your marvellous tribute at the memorial service, you said that once he'd given you that encouragement, it was as if your heart would burst with the enthusiasm and energy to play for him. Absolutely. And I, I not not just me, but I, I, I felt that in spades, I have to say. But it's the same with all the players. We were looking for that approval from him. It was as if he was the, the you know, the godfather of football. <laughs> he knew everything about the game. He knew us inside out. And you just wanted to sit at his right-hand table. That was really about it, I think. Yes, yeah. Now, in his second autobiography, uh, Brian said he always thought you'd be cut out for a future in management. Um, now, forgive me for the quote, but he said that that was because you were bright and sharp and a right smart ass who was fully prepared to stand his ground and answer back when he believed he was right. Is that a fair assessment? I, yeah, I, I, I have answered back even when I know that I'm not right. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's, been, a, that's been a problem, Marcus. Um, um, you, all you have to do is ask my, my family about that. But uh, overall, yes, I, it, it's interesting because I never really thought about management um, when I was playing at Nottingham Forest for 10 years. Never really thought about it at all. And um, so for Brian Clough to say something like that there, that, that, that was nice. I do remember him once, Mark, which is not, not in the book and that's so on. I remember him coming in uh, once. Um, I don't know, he had the, the green shirt on. He, uh, he brushed his um, hand over his, uh, over his brow as if to say he was sweating, as if, and also as if to say that he had just come from a board meeting, a morning board meeting, 
and um, and had a seemingly a difficult time. Now, Brian Clough, I'm quite sure, never had a difficult time at a board meeting. But yeah. I remember I remember him once saying, and he gathered us all around, and he said, uh, uh, you lot, to us as well, he said, uh, have any of you ever think about management? He said, think again. He says, because the only inevitability about this job is you'll get the sack. And he, that was coming from the most unsackable man in the world at that time, you know, because he was so strong. So something had irked him at this board meeting, I think, that uh, mm. more than anything else that uh, caused him to make this comment. But um, that, that was all. But I never really thought about management until I ran into Peter Taylor a couple of uh, a couple of years after he had completely retired from the game. Saw him in Nottingham one day. Didn't really want to see him, and and uh, that's when Peter came over and hey you, he said you disappoint me. I thought you would go into management. So I've uh, and that was the nicest words that Peter had in, 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 in to to a certain extent, even though he was um, uh, uh, he was rather stringent in his comments. But he, um, I, I, I actually thought to myself, I wish you'd been a wee bit kinder to me when when he was dishing out some praise as a player. But it. <laughs> Yeah. did genuinely make me think about going into management. It was Peter Taylor as much as anything else. And then words that seemed to resonate with uh, a conversation I'd had with Billy Bingham at international level. And that's when I decided after the comments with uh, Peter Taylor, that I'll go and start writing and applying for jobs. And like Clough, who started at Hartlepool in management, you went to, to Grantham and, and, mm. and Wickham, at the bottom of, of, or near the bottom of the pyramid, as it were, how do you feel when you see some players these days go straight into the top jobs without that apprenticeship? Right. Okay. It's an interesting point, Mark. Um, my my personal view is I did I applied for a number of jobs in the football league and didn't get replies from them. You know, and one I did get a reply, and uh, and then eventually didn't get the job. Okay. So. Grantham uh, uh, came along, and I thought, yes, okay, let let me go and see see what I might be might be like. And then Wickham, obviously, a, a step up, but it's fraught with difficulty because this idea, if if someone just let's say, for instance, my final day at as a professional player, if someone said to me, oh, by the way, you're just going to go straight in and manage um, uh, manage uh, some championship team immediately or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. I would have taken. Yeah, because when you're down at the bottom, when you're down, let's say, let's say things didn't go so well at Wickham, what, the chances of me getting another job in the football league would have been few and far between. So it is actually fraught with difficulty. So this idea that you go down and learn your trade, I, I, I I'm, I'm not so sure. Sometimes it might, it might work in that way. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, it's a you risk. Know? Yes. But having said this, the other there, there is a there's an element of what you're saying about some players stepping into big big jobs immediately on the strength of their playing career and maybe not having any managerial uh, know-how in that in that sense. That's also a bit difficult. There's definitely a happy medium somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. You say in the book, you know, that the power of the dressing room team talk is, is an integral part of your craft, making players believe that anything is is possible. What aspects of, of Cluffy's style of management did you take <clears throat> into your managerial career? Well, for first of all, for for a man as as complicated in many aspects as he was, Brian Clough preached simplicity. It's simple. The game's simple. 
You know, you don't have to complicate the game. You know what it's about. First of all, you have to try and get the ball. I was a great believer in getting the ball and getting it as quickly as possible. And remarkably, if we can, get the ball as, uh, as quickly as possible and as close to the opposition goal as possible. So those things now, whatever he was preaching, are now being taught, are now being mentioned as if there were new things in the game. And Brian Clough was telling us that these things are way back in 1975. But his, 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 Brian Clough could have been talking about dog walking in his team talk. And it would be interesting. That's yeah. the point. It's how he said the message to you as much as anything else. It was still simple. It was very simple. Get the ball. And generally speaking, our, our job was to get the ball out to John Robertson as quickly as possible, you know, and then yeah. and then file into the penalty area and, and await the outcome. <laughs> that was uh, quite simple. Yeah. But as I said, Brian, it's how Brian Clough said it to you that, that that really did make the difference. Yes. You mentioned John Robertson there. Of course, you teamed up with him in management, doing wonders at, at Leicester City especially. Um, and, and Brian said that um, uh, in one of his books, it might not be a carbon copy of Clough and Taylor, but they look like being the next best thing. Uh, high praise indeed. What was special about your managerial partnership with Robbo? <laughs> John, well, first of all, John was a great, great player. To me, the most influential player at, at Nottingham Forest, playing the fulcrum of the team and yet playing wide, wide left-hand side, getting the ball out to, as Brian Clough might say, this little fat man, you know, and uh, he was a magician, yeah. absolute magician, you know, really, really, really great player. So, so influential. I, uh, when I came into Nottingham Forest, first of all, there was a great player called Ian Story Moore who I think Storny Moore is a fantastic footballer. I think almost single-handedly kept Nottingham Forest in the big league for about four years after their great year of 19, uh, 1966-67. And so those were two great, great players. So John went on to prove himself and, and win at the very, very highest level and win the big medals, scoring in the European Cup final, making a goal in the previous one. So really great. So John and I had a good relationship uh, John's career had finished when I was going to, to manage at Grantham. I asked him to play a couple of games for me. He did. They didn't go so well because John had uh, John had lost the appetite to to really want to. He didn't want to be kicked up and down the uh, no. the Beezer yeah. the Beezer Midland Division. You know, <laughs> it didn't mind, he didn't mind getting kicked against Cologne, but not 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 against Starbridge. You know, no. so. Uh, and so he came and he sat beside me. And uh, even though we, when I went to Wickham Wonders, John didn't really, he didn't come alongside me because he was he was having to work himself. He had his own jobs. But when we got together at um, when we got together at Leicester City, really, that's that's when our our, um, our managerial uh, partnership really took off. And but John was fantastic, absolutely fantastic, great, not just with myself. Little 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 messages he would send out, little vignettes of uh, of uh, moments which I, I thoroughly enjoyed with him. But he was also very 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 good with the players as well too. So you know he had, uh, whereas I could stay a little bit more away from the players or a little bit more aloof from them, John could integrate and they had great trust in him. And the same went with that and uh, uh, my coach uh, Steve Walford. So the two of them were were integral to everything really. And and very very good with the players. Yeah, yeah. You managed with um, Roy Keane as well. How different? Mm -hmm. How different was that partnership to the one with John Robertson? 
Oh, I did, yeah, day and night, really. You know, first of all, I'm 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 uh, I'm dealing with uh, John on a day to day basis, but we've known each other since uh, since I was 19 and he was 18. So we've known that that we've kind of known each other and almost knew our thoughts. Um, with with uh, with Roy, it was a matter of getting to know him as much as as anything else. Remember, we're we're not working on a daily basis either because international management is 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 not structured like that. Yeah, of course. And um, but when he was when uh, Roy was in full throttle, there's absolutely you know he's 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 got all the drive and the determination that you would expect from a man that uh, that led Manchester United so strongly for a number of years. So, but in terms of character, I have to say, Mark was totally different. John would. Um, uh, John would always say if I was having um, I was having uh, some sort of difficulty in either team selection or whatever, John would always have a little little thought about it for a second or two and then say to me, Martin, gut, gut feeling. Go with your gut feeling, you know. Yeah. And I so, sometimes said to John, John, I don't even have a gut feeling. You need to tell me more. But uh, yeah. whereas I think that, um, I think that uh, Roy could be more forceful in yeah. his opinion, more forceful. But that's not surprising, really, because one of the character he was, and two, he was also a manager himself yeah. at club level, having managed Sunderland. So that managerial part of him would always want to eke out. I had the pleasure of interviewing you back in 2008 on the stage at uh, Nottingham Council House <coughs> um, for the civic reception celebrating the, the Brian Clough statue in the city after I'd set up the, the fundraising campaign for it. And there was... And you well sat- done you for oh. that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Well, there was yourself, John Robertson, and Gary Bertles, and, and members of the Clough family there. And afterwards, um, I think you went to have a look at the statue that night, uh, just you and John Robertson. Um, what what did you think? Of the statue itself? Yes, yeah. Well, what, well, first of all, yeah, and again, fantastic. Well done, you, really. You know, it's sounding rather sycophantic from this side, but it's not meant to be. That, really well done. He is, um, I mean, thoroughly deserving of it, really, in, in, in Nottingham. He's, um, the, the statue is great. It's really great. I think it's in a nice nice position, uh, you know, for people, you know, passing there. It's it's uh, very, very close to the city centre and it's, and it's great. Obviously, I think the family are really pleased about it and uh, not before time, I suppose. So well done you and your efforts to get that. It, it probably it probably should have gone up the minute the first um, the first European Cup was won. You know? <laughs> now, you did manage to meet up with Cluffy, I think, uh, when you were managing Leicester uh, and he mm-hmm. came to visit you. How did that go all those years later? I, how did it go? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, really fine. I invited him. I invited him one um, uh, one year to the League Cup final. Ah, the yes. League Cup. Leicester City were in a few, uh, but he had, he had come across. To the, I think he come across to the training ground, and remarkably, I'd actually met him at his house once. So I was always apprehensive about these meetings, but I made sure. I absolutely made sure that John Robertson was uh, was with me. You know because um, I you know. Obviously, uh, John um, was so so popular with him. Yes. So I used when my conversations with Brian were generally hidden behind or uh, hidden behind John Robertson, as John was saying, "Hello, boss." So a great a great deference we played to him or paid to him, I should say. Yeah. And um, and when he came to um, when he came to Wembley for one of the League Cup finals, 
And my wife was telling me that he was gathered in one of the tables and, as you would expect, stole the show. Stole the show. He was absolutely mesmeric around the table. Uh, really, uh, those people who were sharing the table with him and some of the people he may not even have known, he said there was just, uh, it was wonderful to be in his company. And that was uh, that was terrific to hear. Yeah. Now, now, you say in your book, if you live to be a thousand years old, you'd never see the success at Forest ever repeated. Um, mm. They were brilliant days. If Brian Clough was listening to this interview now, looking down on his protege, yeah. what would you say to him? I should say to him, well, I would say to him on behalf of the Nottingham Forest players who were there in 1975 when he arrived at the football club, uh, that was an historic day for, for the club. And all that success that we had. So if you told me that by 1980, despite the trials and tribulations that I would have with him during the course of that time, that that night that we'd walk up together, you know, in the Barnaby Stadium, just, uh, you know, he holding the cup, me holding a medal, I would have said, listen, these are the days of our lives, really. I have absolutely. And I would thank him for that because John Robertson, Tony Woodcock, Viv Anderson, they would all have been really fine players. They would have, you know, maybe played, Tony played for Arsenal, Cologne, um, they played for Arsenal, Manchester United, and John Robertson, John, you know, would have just been a great player anyway. But would we have had that success without that man in charge? Absolutely not. So we thank him a great deal for that, that ride of a lifetime that started in January 1975 and probably, to me, probably finished the day that we lost against uh, CSK, so Sofia in Bulgaria, or the in the Bulgarian team, when, uh, when we were unable to defend the um, the European Cup for the uh, for the third time. Yeah. The book Days Like These, My Life in Football, is available now. A fantastic read, and I wish you so much success with it. Martin O'Neill, thanks so much for joining us today. No, Marcus, thank you very much for asking. Genuinely, really appreciate it, and, uh, and we could talk forever here about that, man. <laughs> we could indeed. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. There are more stories on the Tribute website, brianclough.com. I hope you can join me again next time for more memories of the great man in the green jumper.